This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Yo, yo! How you doing, folks? My name is Doc Holiday, and this is the Tombstone Podcast, and I'll be your Huckleberry today. Of course, that's untrue. I'm TR, and this is Tales with TR. How you doing? Uh, great guest today, Pete Vandermeer. Boy, uh, we go way back, way back. The early 90s, Peter's uh, from an unbelievably, unbelievably successful hockey family. If you don't know that already, and then we'll get into that a little later. Uh, what did I, I get some great fan mail, man. Uh, so one dude asked me, usually you have a quote. Uh, I think I might have started something on here where I, said a quote once in a while, so for shits and giggles, he asked me, what's written on your chest there? So I do have a quote. It says, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. And I love that quote. Where does it come from? It comes from a Billy Joel song who's really underrated and somehow nowadays I think is looked at as a bit cheesy. Fuck, he's a great singer-songwriter. I said I wouldn't F-bomb today. There's one three minutes in, not even. Um. Yeah, uh, Billy Joel. So in the song, the song is uh, Only the Good Die Young. And in the song, a lot of times, you know, you'll hear that song all the time, especially on the classic rock channels. But if you listen to the words, which I didn't when I was younger, and uh, sometimes it, there's such a good melody to a song that you don't listen to it. But it, it, he's trying to, Billy Joel is a teenager, I'm guessing, in his late teens, it seems. And he's putting the make on a girl that's in Catholic school, right? So I, I should have the lyrics brought up here. But off the top of my head in my frontal lobe, uh, the lyrics go something like this. Uh, Come out, Virginia. Don't let me wait. The Catholic girls start just too, uh, much too late. Sooner or later, it comes down to fate. I might as well be the one. Uh, it goes on and on. Uh, they built you a statue, told you to pray, built you a temple and locked you away. They never told you the price that you'd pay for things that you might have done. Right. So he's talking about the Catholic religion and Catholic guilt. And, and he's trying to get her to to take, you know, to join him. Uh, well, to date him or, or whatever, or to screw him, obviously. Right. But <laughs> I mean, who's kidding who? And so later in the song, he says, they say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Only the good die young. I absolutely love everything about the song. And I love that little verse. Uh, and obviously, 
doesn't take a genius. You know, he's saying, you know, I'm a good guy, but, you know, I'm not quite really strictly religious. And I think if we just cheat a little bit, we'll still be all right. Uh, the sinners are much more fun, you know, like live a little. Come on. Virginia, that's her name. Yeah, Virginia. Come on, Virginia. Let's just have a bit of fun and not worry about the Lord. Anyway, that's my music quote for the uh, for the day, for the weekend. COVID. A lot of good Samaritanism. I've sat here, you know, week to week, and it kind of gets, it weighs on one's mind. Like I said, it's mental adversity every day. But, you know, there's a lot of fucking good things going down, second half. There's a lot of, Great things happening. I, I, I got to say that. You know, if you look at, I hate looking at Facebook because of all the poison. But if you, if you run your, if you go through it, I guess that depends on your friends. I think I have some pretty good friends. Most people on my Facebook actually have no idea. I think that's why it's so frustrating. I don't know them and I see these opinions. I just put, yes, yes, yes. Now I got 5,000 friends and like 3,500 of them. I have no idea who they are. So I do get a lot of poison. When, when you take, you know, if you just, if it was just my friends, I'm not complaining. I get it. A lot of people are not my friends, but I, you know, they might be hockey fans and they want to follow along. So I go, yes, yes. And most of the time it's good, but you, know, you, you tend to gravitate towards people that have similar likings and interests. So where I have on my Facebook, a lot of people that are just, I guess, want to follow hockey or, or something that don't really know me personally, you get a lot of worldviews that necessarily wouldn't be on there. And, oh, my God, do I get a lot of poison. So I don't look at it much. But when I do, I see a lot of good things in, amongst all the bad, which uh, meaning, you know, a lot of people reaching out to help. Uh, God, you know, families getting creative and editing from TikTok to paintings to creative ways to play sports. Saw some kids in a park yesterday, um, and they were having a shootout. You know, the goalie was in net, and they were like, taking slap shots all from different lengths and from different zones. So, I mean, they were social distancing. I thought it was great. I mean, technically, I guess there's a ball that's being passed from a stick to a goalie. I mean, so I guess there's some risk, but we're going out of our minds. And I think that was, uh, it was pretty creative. And so they played, instead of playing a game, they had five down one end and five in the other, and they were just taking shots and someone to call it, go, Hey, slap shot. Hey, wrist shot. And, uh, you know, they kind of do challenges. And by the way, if up to this point, I've been hard to hear, I'm sorry about that. My, I have my washer and dryer on. And I just realized when they went off how unbelievably loud they were. And uh, for that, I apologize. I hope you can hear me. If you can't, we'll have to do this all again. Um, what else? Okay, so I just posted on uh, Instagram and Facebook, a picture of Dennis Rodman and myself and my buddy Paul Eels. And that was, um, a lot of people wanted to know the story. I did give an explanation, but I mean, I talk a lot and this was a fantastic time in my life. And so the written word doesn't always sum it all up, even though I tried to under the picture. So to give you just a little bit of an idea what was happening there, it was 1997. And like I said, in 96, 97, I was in Montreal. I, I was only 19, so they couldn't send me down to the American Hockey League because of league rules. Um, 
they they didn't want to send me back to junior. Yeah, because, you know, I'd had 50 the year before and we were a contender in Tri-Cities. Now they were in last place. And I'd also fought a lot the year before. My draft year, I think I had 20, 25 fights. So, you know, they just picked me in the first round. And, and at the very first, I had a great relationship with Montreal. Um, so, yeah, they didn't want me to go back. And they said, you know, how many more goals can you get than that? And, you know, I'm not saying I was too good for the WHL. In their minds, it wasn't worth the risk sending their first-round pick back. I mean, I, they knew I had a good year the year before, and they knew that Tri-City now were in last place, and they, they lost all kinds of players. And that happens in junior. Junior, the cycles are a lot shorter than they are in the other leagues. You, you go for it, all, you often stock up for one year. But we always ran into Kamloops, and they were unbelievable, arguably the best junior team ever, definitely of the era. So it was, uh, yeah, it was in their best interests and mine, luckily, to keep me in Montreal all year. And Mario Chamley said, you know, I'm just going to have you practice. He said, I'd rather have you practice up here than play with your own uh, age group and come February we'll send you because there will be a trade deadline in junior and we'll send you back so that's why I was in the and do you look at my games played I think it's only three or four that year but I was there all year most of the year like 80 percent because of that because they want to send me down so it was awesome so I got to travel with the team practice all the time I went down to Fredericton a couple times but I couldn't play any games I just got to see you know how the American Hockey League worked here before I went there. It was an awesome time. And then during that time is often a stretch that, you know, I, I would, I often dressed for games and I didn't get a shift. And that might have happened, God, that year, maybe at least a half dozen times, if not more. And, you know, you wouldn't get credit for a game played. And a lot of people think I'm complaining when I tell that story, but no, I mean, I was 19. Would I rather be in no offense against Prince Albert, but, you know, Prince Albert in November playing a uh, WHL junior game. I'm not going to say meaningless, but as close to that gets. Or, you know, go on with the team, see how Vincent Tamfus, who's our captain, treats the other players. Um, you know, meet Mark Recchi, Shane Corson, get to see how they tick. So that was their thinking, and I loved it. Now, when I went back to Red Deer, which I'll get into later because Pete Vandermeer is our guest, it was an awesome time. So it was just a great year all, all the way around 96, 97. But some point during that year, I can't remember exactly when. Mm. And I think it might have been right at the end um, of our junior season, which would have been, and I don't think Montreal made the playoffs, or maybe they got knocked out in the first round. It was an early exit. In any case, I think it was during towards the end of the, end of the year, so Planet Hollywood was opening up in Montreal and St. Catherine Street down towards the Eaton Center for those that know Montreal. And I had just flown back to Newfoundland for some reason. I don't know if it was to get stuff and go back to Montreal and train for the summer. But for some reason, I remember being back here for three or four days. Might have been a funeral, maybe. Um, not to be morbid, but, you know, that's the way it is. In, 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 if you're from Toronto, you can just kind of drive home or wait for a road trip around that area and go see people. Again, we're, we're an island here in Newfoundland, so there were times that I had to, like, even in Tri-Cities, out by Seattle, you know, that's honestly, the whole trek is about five different legs of that trip, and it takes forever. But, you know, I would often have to do it if something important happened at home. So I was home for some reason. 
Paul Eels is my good friend. We played baseball together. And, you know, I'm big into baseball. I'm not as good, obviously, at baseball. I'm good enough to be an all-star. That's about it. And I loved going on the road trips with the boys. And I loved having the no pressure on me in that sport. Although some would argue going into Cornerbrook and people would give it to me and just yell. <laughs> Lots of fans, man, in Newfoundland uh, baseball when, when the all is on the line and they give it to you. A lot of hecklers. But I enjoyed that. You know, I, I, I chose to do it. I mean, I, I chose to go up to bat and risk striking out. And, or just, I, used to, I was a sucker for the high pitches. I used to swing at them up by my chin. And a lot of the fast, real fast pitchers, hello, uh, Mike Fifield, Mario T., they knew that. So I really, it was a challenge to get up there and play baseball, and I loved it. So Paul Eels, who's a great baseball player here locally, one of the best eyes I've ever seen. But anyway, he was a good friend amongst anything else. Yeah, he was a good friend, more important than anything else, I should say, and is a good friend. So I got this letter um, and it came to me in the Montreal dressing room, in the Canadiens dressing room, and I just threw it in my bag because a lot of fan mail, you know, you might get, if you're playing in the NHL, I don't know what it's like now, I assume worse, but at the time, you know, you'd get 50 uh, letters a week, and usually it was just a hockey card with a return envelope in there, and they wanted you to sign it and send it back. So that was the drill, and I said, you know, I'll just put them in my bag, and I'll sign them on the plane or whatever, and I'll get home and, and do the rest of it. But when I got there, I realized one of these letters wasn't from a fan. It was from Planet Hollywood. And they were opening in Montreal, and they invited uh, all the Expos and all the Canadians. Um, amongst others, I just remember that being on the letter. So I was like, yeah, no problem. So I, and everybody got a guest. I was single at the time. So I called Paul. I'm saying, dude, you know, and Paul's what? At the time, like 22, um, just starting to work, join the, you know, the workforce. Uh, I don't think he had a girlfriend at the time, uh, you know, so to get a call and do, yeah, by the way, Paul, you want to go to a movie tonight and maybe tomorrow we can go to planet Hollywood and meet Sylvester Sloan. So he said, fucking right. So I'm going to go. So we went out, man, not knowing what to expect. And, uh, the Habs were great. They set us up with, they set him up with his own hotel room and, uh, we went. So there was, we get there and it's packed outside people magazine, entertainment weekly, all that kind of shit. Um, red carpet, velvet rope, all that shit. And I didn't know that going in, but we were, we were, uh, not that that mattered, I guess I didn't really, you know, we were dressed okay, but I just didn't know it'd be so chaotic. So on the way in and I always usually had a camera on me. I'm like, you know, okay, Paul, I forgot my camera. I'm going in. So I went into the, one of those stores on St. Catherine street, right? There's one or two on every block. And, uh, these convenience stores or one every block or two, I should say. And I just bought a disposable camera. I just said, this is going to be a moment. So we walked in and got the pictures on the red carpet and all that. I wish I had that. I don't. And it was chaos trying to get in. So then we, we get in and there's this, you know, ele not ele escalator. So escalators taking the quote unquote celebrities up and like, we're part of this group. I shouldn't be a celebrity, but I am. So anyway, as I'm going in, no shit. It's chaos out there. Vinny LeCavier had just been drafted number one overall. So Vinny's outside the door. Now, no one really, I mean, people in Montreal knew he was probably there for a reason, but, you know, he wasn't getting any love. He wasn't getting in the door, and the bouncers wouldn't let him in. 
That's one great thing. I did one thing for Vinny LeCavalier. I got him in. So I looked out. I go, you're Vinny LeCavalier. Get, get in here, brother. So the last person I got in, man, was Vinny LeCavalier. Door shuts. It's still chaos. We go up. So me, Vinny, and Paul Eels, and Vinny's buddy, and we're going up the escalator, and Cindy Crosper's on the escalator, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis. I got all these pictures somewhere. It was blowing me away. Now, I'm technically in there as, like, one of their peers. So we go into the VIP section. So now it doesn't look weird when I'm asking them for their picture because, you know, to them I'm an NHL star, which I'm not, but I'm invited as one. So, and I don't tell them how many games played or anything. I'm just like, yeah, I'm on the Habs. So, uh, and a, everybody was invited, but, you know, the guys who live in Montreal, I guess like, it's stuff like that that might be numbing to them. So, like, Patrick, Patrice Brisebaugh, who won a Stanley Cup a couple of years before that. Um, uh, who else? Jeez. Who's it? I believe Brisebaugh, Damfus, and maybe a couple of more came, but that, uh, there wasn't many. Damfus, because he was the captain. But it was, um, yeah, it was... I remember at least six of us being there. I figured the whole team would be, but in any case, it was better because there was only a few of us. So we went into this room immediately. Um, I'm not going to say this, but I'm not going to say who, but I went, you, the bathroom for us was like way down the back by the kitchen. And I went down, I remember knocking on the door because uh, it was locked and two pretty big celebrities came out. And I swear to you, I'm just, thought recently what they must i mean they must have been doing blow I'm, I'm guessing like why would yeah just the situation now looking back i think they probably were i had no clue none none they come out i'm like yeah they're going to shake their hand it was washing it was just silly it was a one one bathroom washer so yeah clearly they were doing something anyway anyway how naive i was so i come back out i, I go to the table and Barry Bonds is there because I believe the San Francisco Giants were in town. So, hold on, my cat. Princess! Jesus, every time I start this, she'll, she'll go hours and hours and just sit there, which is great, and purr and be sedentary. And then as soon as I start this up, she goes mad. And the more I poke at her, the more she goes mad. She thinks it's playtime. We're all going out of our minds. Uh, anyway, Barry Bonds. So as we're there, and I joined, he goes, who are you guys? And, I, and Paul speaks up. He says, well, I play baseball. And I'm with the Habs. Like, I'll play baseball, too. You know, I play on the Canadians. But I, I don't know if Barry thought he meant or we meant we played uh, semi-pro or something that we're on his level or close to. He, he, he put the, like, you know, the tables were all in order, and there was an inside and an outside, a big row. So we, it was like a movie theater. If you were in the middle, it was tough to get out. So he pushed a table out. He said, come on in. And me and Paul went in and, and sat right next to Barry Bonds. Uh, and th thinking back in the late 90s, he must have been having, a, he must have been having an incredible season. Uh, and it was on the way to breaking a record. Uh, <clears throat> so anyway, we're in the midst of all this, and it's unbelievable what's going, down, going on. And around the corner come Dennis Robin and Carmen Electric. Now, so this was during that championship run they were going on. Uh, now that I'm watching The Last Dance, I realize, because he was only with Carmen Electra a very, very, very short period of time. And if you Google the pictures, there's only like three or four pictures of them in public. And one is that night. And I remember being in Entertainment Weekly People, and when they, they got married shortly after that, and then they divorced. And I mean, within like two weeks, all that happened. It was a big story at the time. 
So this ended up being extra special because it was one of the only times that they were seen in public like that. Um, you know, one of the only others was in Vegas that they talk about on The Last Dance, which must have been within like days of this. So just knowing the facts behind it. So anyway, anyway, they come in and I've had a beer or two and of all of them, like because of what's happening at the time and how great the Chicago Bulls are, I mean, anybody looking back at The Last Dance from my lens will know, know what, what I'm talking about. You know, if you were in your early 20s and all that was happening and you're an athlete, let alone a pro athlete, looking at one of the best pro athletes. And you see, you look back, he had a, a reputation, of course, right? Dennis was a little off the wall for a lot of reasons. I mean, a lot of reasons. But that took away from how good a player he was. I'll never stop saying it, that at the time, he was this big rebounder. And to watch him play was almost as entertaining as watching Jordan uh, play offensively. It was almost as entertaining to watch Rodman defensively. Yes, he had crazy hair. Yes, he dressed uh, like a tranny or like a woman and, and said he was going to marry himself. That happened on like David Letterman. Um, he, he came in in like a wedding gown or whatever it was. Uh, yes, he had crazy piercings everywhere. Um, he was really off the wall, but but whatever. Like as you're seeing in the show, I'm glad they referred to it. Like he was a great player, um, one of the best ever. I, w I I think you could say defensively, and he's a big reason they won. And I knew that. And Carmen Electra was a rocket, and was also at the peak of her fame. So I could not believe now. As I wedge down in between, so Barry pulls the pit tables out. Paul and I sit down, cross the table. Sporty Spice. I can't make this up. Unbelievable. So Sporty Spice is there. And uh, Bruce Willis, Cindy Crawford, Sylvester Stallone, they're all at the table with me and Paul. Now, that rest of the Habs that are there, like Vinny Van Foose is the captain of our team. But um, they're over, like, where we were originally sitting in their own seat. Now, of course, they're getting a lot of attention. It's Montreal. There's just as many fans that are over it's not a fan thing, like, because they close the door, but there are lots of people in there that whoever's around is going to want, um, you know, there's fandom. They're going to want pictures, all that shit. Not quite like today, though. There wasn't, like, as many selfies going on. I was into that because I was a fucking wingnut, but I was as much a fan as anybody looking back. But what I'm saying is that the boys were being tended to and they were being fond over, but the table that me and Paul were at were like all these celebrities that I always wanted to meet and, you know, were real cool at the time or they wouldn't been invited. So it was an awesome time. Anyway, Dennis sits there, man. And Carmen Electra is right next to me. I'm going like, whatever I say, it's going to look like I'm hitting on her or whatever. Like, and I was embarrassed. I was, again, you might think I was full of confidence and, you know, on the ice and played for the Habs and all that. Yes, 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 yes. But I'm still just like, you know, just a couple of years, the year before this, I'm playing junior. In a few months, I'm going to go back. I would end up going back to play junior in Red Deer and making $100 a week, right? <laughs> and, and playing on a team of guys like that. It, it was this little tiny snapshot in time in the middle of my junior career, not in the middle, but it, it was wedged in, in, in between my junior. You know, I'd, to that point, I played a few years in Tri-Cities and, you know, I had to finish in Red Deer, but this was this weird moment in time that I got to like, you know how David, if you're Canadian and uh, downtown came uptown, uh, Jesus, what's his name? Oh, David Wilcox, downtown came uptown. 
uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a story about, you know, a guy that, you know, goes from rags to riches kind of thing. Well, it was like that. I've often said, like, Junior, you're just happy to undo a bra, uh, date a girl, that, you know, you have a couple of natural light beers with the boys because they're cheap. Um, you know, you're putting in a chew on the road trips and telling stories. There's a whole lot of, you know, you're playing video games. And then like a week later, you're, you're supposed to know everything. You're, you're, you're scotch and soda, it's cigars, it's VIP rooms. The women become, you know, sixes turn into 11s, especially in Montreal. It was just, it was overwhelming. But a great time, nonetheless. Um, is that you, Penny Lane? Hey, how are you? Say hi to the people. Hello. How's your morning going? Pretty good. Did you like uh, when we went camping yesterday? Kind of. <laughs> kind of. What did you like about it? Um, that we were in a different place. And the outdoors, and you liked cooking a little fire and doing some reading down by the water. I bet, I bet you didn't like the wind and the uphill that we had to come home, did you? No. Okay, you have a Penny Lane and I are going to hang out and go on another bike ride today, but uh, you go and play with your friends for an hour. I mean online, guys. We do social distance. And uh, we'll go in a little bit. Okay, I'll see you in about an hour. Okay, hon? Okay. Um, and where was I? Princess, don't you start. The love and honor. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> Can you take Princess Hunt? Okay, thanks. Love you. Yeah, so anyway, how long does it take me to tell a story at all? Um, so Rodman, he, right away, I just, I, I didn't know. Like, he seemed like he wanted to be to himself. But I said, like, how many times am I going to be in a room with Dennis Rodman? And the answer was one. So he, honestly, he, he ordered us a drink. I can't remember what he drank. Or what I, yeah, I can't even remember, man. I wish I documented the story better. But I remember he was just an awesome guy. And he asked me more questions than I asked him. You know, when you ever like meet a celebrity, and I, I think that's often a measure of, it's not all, it doesn't always, I mean, sometimes there's good guys and good girls and good people that are just don't want to talk or whatever. So I'd never judge anybody just on one instance, but. Dennis was great. Like he, he, he was asking me like, how did he get into hockey? I remember he made a big thing about the fighting and my hands always like in those times always looked swollen because I was never, you know, I never went a month without a hockey fight in my career really. So they were always beaten in a little bit. So I showed him my hands and he laughed. He said, imagine if you could do that in our sport. And, uh, which now not to underrate under that rim in basketball is one of the toughest places to be in sports. You just, you know, there's a little hefty more, penalties for fighting not that Dennis didn't play tough he's as tough as any hockey player I know but um anyway yeah it was awesome and and then Carmen was there and she opened right up and um I mean you know please no there's no sexual sexual innuendo here nothing happened with any women that night it was just a mesmerizing time in my life Paul and I had an awesome time and uh on the way out mm, if you, uh, on the way out, 
and, and we milked it. I mean, I stayed there for four or five hours, like in, and when everybody was finally leaving and I couldn't possibly get any more pictures or talk to anybody anymore. Um, he, I remember, I, I don't remember who else did. They might have, cause it was a very nice night, but Dennis offered his hand and we shook it and he said, good luck. And I, that just went a long way, man. That went a long way with me. And, uh, you know, now you get, I mean, he's, he's over in North Korea. Jesus Christ. I, I don't know what he's thinking there. I don't know him personally, but the guy treated me great in the midst of an unbelievable career. He had every reason to not even talk to me. And um, he did. So that's the story. That's my story about uh, my little tiny link into the world of the last dance uh, that I met Dennis Rodman uh, right before they must have won that final one looking back. Okay. Thanks for listening along. You'll like this guest if you're a hockey fan and uh, just if you're a fan of humanity in general, because this guy has an awesome story. Hockey's the vehicle. It's all about the journey coming up. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show my next guest, the former rebel, chill, American, renegade, Iceman, Penguin, Bruin, Phantom, Titan, Griffin, Bulldog, Bear, Rampage, Flame, Heat, Grizzly, King, and of course, of course, Phoenix Coyote. He had 20 goals in the deer and likes to have the odd beer on any given night. This cat could score and fight. The rumor is true. His relatives play hockey, too. He's sharp as attack and always has your back. He's not a pimp and played with Darren Van Imp. Wouldn't you know, his brother is Joe. If I was co-pilot, I'd say Lander there. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Pete Vandermeer. Pete, thanks for coming to the show, baby. Wow, that's freaking awesome. <laughs> well, this I don't even think you got them all, too. <laughs> I did. Well, you know what? Well, except for the uh, senior stuff, which we will get into. I know a little bit about it. I know you played for Innisfail a little bit because I look – because I basically read the story since I played for uh, the Bentley General's – 10 or 12 years ago, but we'll get that into, into that in a bit. My, I want to go right from the beginning because I'm fascinated with your story. Before we start, Pete, you've got five brothers, each of which play hockey, right? Yeah, yeah there's six of us. There's six. So there, there, there's so much to unpack there. There's so much to unpack. Let's just say, take me through an average day growing up. First of all, youngest, oldest, how are the brothers? Uh, who's the oldest? Who's the youngest? I'm the oldest. And little Teddy's the youngest. It goes Pete, Joe, Dan, Jim, Bill, Ted. Okay. And Easy. four of you played professional hockey, right? All six of us did. All six ended up playing pro. I didn't realize. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's Bill, Bill and Ted played in, in the Central League and were in Texas and stuff for a while. A little, Billy a little bit in the coast too, but yeah. All, all the boys Actually, I knew, I knew five. I knew five, yeah. And Billy's a little bit – I just – Basically, I'm not trying to be ignorant. I heard of him. I, I just he's a, he's a little bit younger and off my radar. But I know you guys' story, and it's it's crazy. Is it Carolyn, Alberta? Is that where you grew up, or did you come into Caroline? Yeah, Caroline. That's how you. Yeah. I just remember being out there and and you telling me that and driving through on the back roads when I was doing some work for Wes Gary and the Generals. So yeah, what's a typical day like growing up? Were you guys into other sports? Was hockey every single day? Was it a, you know, was it a tough, I mean, you're all tough too in, in some regard. Like, take me through a typical day. 
Well, the old man had a farm and a sawmill that we grew up on, mostly on the sawmill, that uh, actually brothers Dan and Ted are running right now with the old man. Uh, but we grew up on the sawmill, had to work every day before school or after school or whatever anything needed to be done. And we, uh, shit, yeah, we played, played hockey, but we played as much ball as we played hockey. You know, Caroline's a town of 300 people on the foothills of the Rocky Mountains and kind of in the middle of nowhere, but pretty beautiful and awesome place to grow up, but place you kind of want to get away from to see the rest of the world. And, um, it just wound up being hockey was, uh, was what got us kind of down the trail. But, but every day, like we, we played, played hockey, played ball, played catch, played basketball, played volleyball. We played every, every sport. And it was pretty neat having five little brothers. Like you always had somebody to play with. Right. And, the night somebody was bleeding and crying and we get shoot off to bed and whoever was in shit for doing wrong, got shit beat out of them and everybody went to bed and we started the next day. Hey, an honest, uh, an honest experience growing up. Uh, so I guess in a way, I mean, being the oldest and being such an inspiration, I mean, you probably, you know, the, the other brothers probably looked up to you. Not, not probably they did. So uh, I'm sure that you have some, you had some kind of influence on them getting into hockey. How far is Caroline from Red Deer? Uh, it's about an hour. It's about 60 miles. But, uh, yeah, we – the sawmill and the place we grew up there um, is about six miles north of, of Caroline. So we're, you know, pretty much in the middle of nowhere down Gravel Road. And Where, where would you play – where, where, sorry, where would you play minor hockey? Uh, we started in Caroline, and then I, I played in Caroline till I was, uh, you know, in peewee. They changed peewee ages when I was growing up Went to Rocky Mountain House to play a little bit of Bantam. Went to Sylvan Lake to play a little bit of Midget. Went to Red Deer to play Midget, you know, play. <laughs> and played a little bit in Olds with the Grizzlies at the end of that year and played a little bit with the Rebels the first year it was uh, in operation there in the Western. So, yeah, wow. I always had to do that kind of route, too. Like, it was uh, Rocky Mountain House is, uh, is about half an hour uh, north of Caroline. That was kind of the next place where you could play double A. Yeah. Silver Monday came right here to play, you know, higher double levels of, you know, midget and red here to play triple A. Um, no, interesting. Now, of the brothers, which one on his path would have been considered the most talented? Who who was the most bona fide? Uh, well, like the like Bill and Bill and Ted, yeah, they were named great right when those movies came out. I don't know what my parents were smoking, but whatever. <laughs> Both of them were really talented. Um, you know, they, they're a little bit behind us, right? Like they're nine and 11 years younger than I am. So the oldest four of us are a year apart sort of deal. And, you know, Brother Joe was really good defenseman, but small. Dan, the next one, he was really good defenseman. Skate like the wind, but same thing, small. And, you know, for the Western League in the early 90s, everybody wanted a 10-foot-tall defenseman, right? I'd say the little ones for sure. Bill and Ted were supposed to be the the second coming of Jesus. Wow, um, that's interesting. Uh, and, and not so Jimmy. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, I, I'm assuming out there everybody knows the success of the Vandermeer brothers and that uh, Pete and Jim played in the NHL. I mean, I'm sure you guys know that. Um, and I am going to get into that because I love your NHL story. Um, but before we start, how was it to get I mean, you got drafted, or no. You went to the Red Deer Rebels. Were you drafted in the Bantam draft? Was that even a thing then? I, d I don't believe it was. And was that the first year, 92, 93? Yeah, there was, there was no draft back then. I'm not old, right? 
Um, not a whole hell of a lot older than you. Like the Dunn Trap came in like right after I was Bantam. Like I'm I'm a 75. I'm 44. Turn 45. There's no Bantam draft, and I went to Victoria as a 16 year old before they moved to Prince George. But when they're, the Cougars were still in Victoria, and I, uh, I went there at camp. Archie Henderson's coaching there. Went through camp and went with a buddy of mine, Chris Peterson from Rocky Mountain House. We played Bantam together. He he stayed, made the team in Victoria. I went through exhibition and did all the rookie horrible stuff or whatnot. And I had last play in exhibition games, but then right before the regular season was released and sent home, and I played midget AAA in Red Deer. And at the end of that season, uh, I got called up to to the Rebels. The Rebels were in existence, and yeah, you know, I was I was just picked up, put on their list, dropped off of Victoria's list, and picked up by Red Deer. Wow, I mean that must have been just phenomenal at the time. Being from, I mean, the people out there that don't know, all the places Pete just mentioned that, you know, he, he, he toiled in playing minor hockey, a little bit of junior, Olds, Rocky Mountain House, Caroline, they're all, they're all within a drive. I, Rocky Mountain House is probably, what, two or three hours away from Edgar, but there, is, is it, am I wrong there? But no, they're just, all with, just an hour. It's just an, an hour. hour, is it? Okay. And it's Olds. close to Alberta. Yes, Olds has a really successful junior team, and uh, actually Newfoundlanders will know Olds for having a lot of fast pit softball. A lot of our best softball players go to Olds uh, and amongst other places in Alberta, but they often have a lot of Newfoundlanders on, on there. Um, so you go to Red Deer, and you're playing basically in your hometown. You end up playing four years, well, three plus two in your first year there. Um, you end up with 21, uh, 21 goals in your final year. I didn't realize that, Pete. I knew, I knew you had that big year in the coast, which we'll get into. But 20 goals, 207 penalty minutes your last year junior. Is that when doors started to open? Because you went to Columbus after that. I'm, I'm guessing you had to claw and scratch for every opportunity you had. Yeah, it was uh, – I, I didn't – my first full year in Red Deer, like I was 18. I was an 18-year-old rookie, which doesn't happen too much in, in the Western League, right? Like I was small when I – and up later was kind of the idea. Me and all my brothers really did. We we matured later. Like I wasn't my full size till I was probably 23, 24 years old. But um, but as a rookie, as, a, as an 18 year old, it was it was amazing. I was done high school. I was living in Red Deer, where all my buddies and guys I grew up with throughout Central Alberta, all these other places that I played uh, did minor hockey with, were all going to school at Red Deer College or getting jobs in Red Deer or something in the oil patch. And I was done school, didn't have to practice till three in the afternoon the other day with a with a brand new team in the Western League and a brand new building that, you know, we had five, six thousand people in there every night. It was, you know, a dream come true. Six thousand people in the stands that I knew a thousand of them personally. And then right. So it, it was it was amazing. Except for the except for the boys around the bars in, in Red Deer there, they two gentlemen that owned the bars and they had bar wars going on, so booze got down to a quarter a shot and <laughs> For a pitcher of beer, and when you don't have to do anything till three in the afternoon, Jesus, I got in a lot of trouble in that town. Like it was my job. I often said, Pete, it was so weird for me, even in the Western League. Like, I'm in Tri City, and it's 21 to drink, and like it's not—it's a conservative place. There's not even that many bars for how big it is. It's 150,000 people, and then you go to Red Deer, and it's like. Just as soon as you cross the street from the ring, you get Mort's, and then you just go up the strip, and you know you got to be 18. So all of a sudden, and they let it let 17 year olds in. So all of a sudden, most of the team can drink, and they'll throw on specials for the boys. I often said it's 
it's night and day, but what a place. If you, if you can keep it together and really embrace the moment and not go too far into the party atmosphere, Red Deer is a phenomenal, phenomenal place to play. What was your favorite memory in the three years? Uh, probably like that last year, you know, you're talking about, like I got, I, I played with, with Greg Schmidt and, and BJ, like played in a line with those two guys. And, you know, BJ was, you, I, you know, listen to all your stuff and I know everything that you guys meant to each other and, and all that sort of stuff and, and how things work. And he was a great buddy of mine too. Right. But him and Schmidt, like we just clicked and things went great. Like both of them scored 40. I, I think BJ scored over 50. That yeah. And I was out there to look after him, right? Like nobody fucked with us at all. Like we weren't didn't have like the super heavyweights like a lot of teams in, in the Western League did, but everybody on our team would fight. Like everybody. Like we had and we had it like just every single guy could scrap, even the guys that were scoring all the goals. So it was just it was fun. And that year, um, um Swift Current was ranked first all year, you know, like in the whole CHL and they're gonna win the Win the Memorial Cup, and we wound up beating them in, in the first round of playoffs, and that was really, really gratifying. And to see how the franchise came from being, you know, not a joke or anything, but a, but a, you know, an expansion franchise, and took a while to get our feet under us to become a de- decent team. And and that year kind of got things rolling for for what everybody did and what you were part of. I've grown that team into Memorial Cup champion, which my asshole brother Jimmy was uh, captain of. So you know. It, it, it was really neat to be part of the the whole growth of that franchise right from the start. Yeah, and you know, I, I thought about it, Pete. We got a lot in common. First of all, you you got better hands than people think. Uh, you, you were in a role, but every once in a while in your pro career, you didn't go without scoring. I mean, there's 21. You went on to score 20, 31 one year, and we'll get into that in a minute. We both shoot left. We both played for Red Deer. We both dabbled in Hershey and Utah as well. We both fought, scored a bit. We both wore number 14 in the NHL, and we both, the next year, so Pete just talked about playing with uh, BJ Young and Greg Schmidt. Well, Pete left after 95, 96. 96, 97 is when I came in. I brought the same thing to that line as you did because, we, like I said, we, we're very similar players. So it was a no-brainer for me to go there because you had left and you had so much success. And sure enough, sure enough, that fit, and we, um, we didn't win either, but we, we, won three, we, we got to the uh, Eastern Final. Had a great. It was all. It's all about an evolution. I think your team, in Red Deer and mine, had something to do with Jimmy's team winning it, right? And there, there was common. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Just, just the the growth of that and the growth of the culture of the of the team and what was what was good, what was bad, what what worked, what didn't, right? So yeah, all part of that. I'm not, you know, trying to toot our own horns like we had a big <laughs> raising the Memorial Cup, but but it's. It's part of the whole culture and the whole identity of the franchise was what we built before. Um, no, for sure. Why? So why Columbus? Why did you go to Columbus first year out of junior? Um, actually, I was going to go to um, – I planned to go to Richmond, actually, and the coach there, Roy Sommer, got a uh, job in the American League. Well, when I, when I was done junior, right, like you see guys – I didn't get drafted, right? When I, I was one of the dumb guys that uh, – tells you not to go to the draft. Edmonton, my draft year. What a miserable fucking experience it is to sit through ten rounds and not get your game. Go, and all the guys you play against and play with all get picked, and everybody has a good time. Anyways, at, when I was done, twenty years old, I you know been there through this growth of the franchise, and I figured that maybe the team would help me out. They always they look after me, and 
year-end meetings, 20-year-old, hung to the tits, of course, in there because. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the GM there told me to make sure I looked into my education package that I wasn't, I shouldn't try playing pro. So somebody telling me I shouldn't do something, of course, they decided to fuck you. I'm going to go. I'm going to play in the show. All these other assholes are playing in the NHL. Beautiful. You know, played with, played against. Some are better than, some are better than me, but I know I can do stuff because what a, what a great year that, that we had in Red Deer. Um, but, you know, not drafted, nothing like that. You know, find your own kind of tryouts. And I got a tryout in Houston in the, in the International League at the time. And, you know, uh, Dave Pippa was coaching there. Mark Lamb was a player assistant coach, had a great camp. Um, had a you know played a dozen exhibition games, kind of fit in pretty good. But I I was not mature enough, not big enough, not strong enough to play in that league and play the way that I wanted to play. So I was gonna go to Richmond, but uh, the coach that kind of recruited me there, um, he got a job in the American League, and Columbus was my kind of number two pick. And hey, Royce Armour's out of Richmond. I'm gonna go to Columbus, and there I went. Wow, and this, so you play thirty games in Columbus, and you get also get up to uh, Rochester the next year in the American League right off the hop. Look, thirty games, one hundred and forty minutes. You're starting to make a name for yourself. Four goals in the A, which not much ice time. You know that's very commendable. Um, yeah, just but, to go back that that first year, I only played thirty games because um, New Year's Eve in Columbus, um, I was an idiot and got tangled up with a couple of guys and went down, broke my leg, all the rat shit. Spun it right around, bones out the side of the leg, squirting blood the whole night. No. Oh, yeah. What happened? Was this on the ice, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. New Year's Eve. Back checking. And that's why somehow I wound up back in Red Deer and seeing you guys at uh, at Boston Pizza. I met up with you guys there because I was hobbling along on crutches. I remember that. Yeah. Okay. Now that makes sense. um, Going to be done. You know, the doc said, yeah, you're done. Career's over. Like, your leg's going to be two inches short. Like, it. Broke like that. Worst car accident deal, right? No good, but they uh, they round a bunch of metal in there and fixed her up good. The doctors at Ohio State, like I was actually lucky I was playing in Columbus because the yeah. there were awesome, put me back together, and I played nine weeks after I had surgery. Finished off. Uh, that. Anyways, that's I just want to throw that in there because that actually took, a, took my overdrive, slowed me down a little bit. I remember that, though. I remember it, man, and I remember you were on your way up. Um, and oh, one sec. You still there? I'm here. Hold on. Now my screen went black. I can still see you. Can you? Yeah. Shit. I don't have any. Okay. I don't have any sight at all on my computer, but I'm assuming it's still recording. So we'll go. Um, let's see. Next thing I was going to ask, okay, so you're up and down for, you know, but when I say up and down in the AHL, East Coast League, uh, United League, it starts to get crazy. 98-99, 15 goals, 21 assists in 62 games to go along with 390 penalty minutes. So you made a decision. Um, you must have started to get confidence, and now you must be starting to fight tough guys because to that point, yeah, you're tough. You got 170, 218, 207, 195. These are a lot of penalty minutes, but 390. Was that a conscious decision? And what, if so, why? Uh, no, I was, always, I was doing that before too. Like those, those minutes, they just rattled off. Those are in one or two years, right? Like I was getting 300 minutes a year anyway. 
it just it just came by naturally. Like I played hard, and when shit happened, I was more than willing to go. <laughs> played hard. It was Played easy. hard is an understatement. The next year you have 457 penalty minutes. And I might add this. I might add this. Am I wrong? I know at the time you were the first player to get 30 goals and have 450 penalty minutes. And you finished with 31 and 457. I mean, Peter, those are insane numbers. And I ask because it's almost like to get 457 minutes – you almost have to consciously try to do that. But I guess at the time, the league was unbelievably tough. So, yeah, were you just playing your game and it just happened? Or like, was it Christmas time and you said, fuck, you know what? I got 315 minutes. I'm going to set a record. No, nothing to do with records. Just it came easy. That year in Richmond, I was actually lucky enough to play with two of my brothers, Dan and Joel, were there. And we started every game together. We wore 16, 17, and 18. Our first game there, we all got thrown in the penalty box. 16, 17, and 18. The fans loved it. They were going nuts. But I played with a, a great hockey player, Ryan Kraft, as a centerman. I know Ryan. Yeah, well, I know who he is. Real similar type of player to BJ. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Smaller, you know, but kind of, kind of square, good on their skates, good skater, amazing vision all over the ice. Like, that kid should have never been in – in the American League, let alone the East Coast League. Like, he, he should have been silent the whole time. But I looked after him, and I had good enough hands and could skate well enough to get to the places where he could get me the puck and, and score a lot of goals in the power play. My cross-eyed brother Joe would feather ones in from the point all the time that I tipped in, which I, I took great pride in that. Still do, actually, like tipping pucks. Because back then, it was not a nice place to be going in front of the net, and a lot of guys weren't willing to do that. I loved it. Could just work you over, but as soon as the puck went in the corner, they were getting it and loved giving it to guys. And I'd get a goal or assist every game, and then shit, if I had a goal and assist, it was pretty easy to get the Gordy. I was getting it for sure. I think I had nine, nine, pretty able hat tricks because I had a goal and assist, somebody's getting it. I don't care who the hell you are. And no, it, man. I, I love the thought. It was so much fun. Um, yeah, man. And then 2000, 2001. AHL, man, 62 games, 19 goals, 240 minutes. Who is, I mean, it's, I won't say amazing, but from where you came from, man, those are, those are great numbers in any league, let alone the American League, which, you know, you had to battle to get to. So during this time, who would be the toughest player you came across, I don't mean that you necessarily dropped the gloves with, but I love what you just said because I was like that too. Like it was hard to go in front of the net with guys like Wade Belak, but you knew if you did, A, they'd respect you, and at some point they had to go in the corner. And if you're going to give it to me, I'm going to give it to you back. And when I give it to you back, I got more room in front of the net. It might be a fraction of a second, but I'm going to give – whereas BJ had to rely on, you know, making a move and scoring from the perimeter. Not that he wouldn't go there, but guys like us had to go there. And so who would have been the, like the toughest player I ever came across was Chris Pronger. Um, it was real tough to go in front of the net and he was so big. It was no way to play against him that you didn't get hurt in some way, like, like a bruise. Who about you? Who's some tough players you came across? Uh, there are so many and, you know, and I played in so many different places. I wound up playing with so many guys that I had just absolute battles with, whether it was scrap or, or those battles in front of the net and stuff. Um, but I know I got so much room, so much more room uh, the year or two before that in, when I was playing the United League. Um, just fighting-wise, like I fought Sergio Berge huh. 
20 fucking times that year. He was in Utica. Dave the Hammer Schultz was coaching that team. I was playing in Binghamton, and we had a really soft team for that league. And so that's that's the big reason I got so many minutes there. And like, dude, wow, Serge Robert. So yeah. jump in. I learned I learned more fighting him that year, that one season about fighting and playing tough than probably like all the years before that for sure. He was just a master of using his body and being strong, like fighting wise. There's other guys, other defensemen and stuff that I had absolute wars with throughout the East Coast and, and the American League. Serge taught me how to fight with big boys sort of deal, you know, and, and he, he really helped me a lot. I, I just heard recently that he passed away a little while ago. But, yeah, him for wow. sure. There were so many guys, though, that as defensemen in, in the East Coast League and the American League that just had fucking wars with but that year in, in Providence. You're talking about I got 19 goals. I scored my 19th goal before Christmas. And – I didn't score another one for the rest of the year. Holy shit. You, you could have had fucking 30 in the A. Yeah. With easy. the right. Yeah, that's the first thing I think of, you know, because if you got 19 before it, I know it all works out, but, you know, you catch catch a hot streak, get play, get on a great line. Yeah, I uh, got, sky's I the limit. I got, we, we lost out early talking about a guy that's, that's hard to play against, that Cam White. And uh, he was playing in Trent with that really good team we had in Richmond. Uh, playing with my brothers, we lost them in the first round. Because of that, I, we were done early. Like we we won our conference and everything in the regular season, but we lose our first round to the big reason that Cam White wouldn't let me score any goals in front of that. He was just good. Um, but because of that, we sit around and get drunk for three four days. I get a call, no cell phones in, but our trainer tracks me down. It's Pete Laviolette coaching yeah. in Providence. Says, "Hey, he wants you in Providence. You playoffs. You play." He's listed you. You're you're going to play first round of playoffs in Quebec City. You got to be in Providence tomorrow morning. Like, fuck, I'm drunk as a skunk. What the fuck? I got to get to Providence, Virginia. <laughs> it's a little hike. So rip up, play play nine uh, nine playoff games with them. We lose lose out to um, lose out to Hartford, which is the anniversary yesterday. Actually, Terry Virtue, who I got to be good buddies with over the years, he scored the game winner against us in game seven of the conference finals that year um, with Hartford. They went up well But the next year I came back, and, and that's Pete gave me a chance to play a regular shift like up till Christmas in, in Providence the next year and without any contract, without anything with Boston. And, and he gave me my first real real shot of being a regular play in the, player in American League. Sorry, I kind of rambled there. No, no. I'm very interested, man. you get got an interesting career, and there's so many questions I had to ask you. Newfoundlanders are going to want to know this. Newfoundlanders are going to want to know how it was to play with John Slaney. Slaney's. Slaney's. Oh, he's a beauty. Like, I played three years with Slaney's, right? Yeah, yeah. In Philly. And at that time, he was, you know, had won two or three Eddie Shore Awards. That's, you know, the best defenseman in the American Hockey League. And he was too good to be playing in that league. But for whatever reason in Philly, they had him kind of as a backup, right? Like a backup yeah. guys that they had they had in Philly. And, you know, he was so skilled and did so many great things on the power play and the PK, slowed the game down and made things look so easy, so skilled. But fuck, he is a grumpy, miserable bastard. <laughs> yeah. Like, because, you know, it was better. He wasn't in, in the show. And he should have. <laughs> National Hockey League the whole time. He really was. But he had a body like a bag of milk, too. Hey, like he always made some of us look really good because 
Oh, what the slang to yeah, what yeah. That's your dumbasses. You can look like that too. <laughs> Put up those numbers. Yeah. Like a good guy and you just needed to know how to take slings. A lot of guys, you know, thought you just miserable and grumpy. He had a great sense of humor, undercover, funny. And, and we had such a good, tight group there in Philly for those years. I, I got along really good with John. Real good. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. The um, And not that I played with him, but we just have enough. I mean, he's from Newfoundland, first of all, so I know him. But we just have enough mutual friends that you, you, you were to a T there. <laughs> he, he seems very cynical and everything on the surface, but there's a dark humor about the guy there's a comedy a lot of it is, is comedy but if you didn't know him real well you would probably think otherwise so philly i always wanted to know like how was that playing for the phantoms it, it it seemed like one of the best when i when i was in my era one of the best places to play in the american league because the fans loved you and it, yeah, it was a big city well, yeah, the setup was amazing right like uh, not a big fan of how they did all that summer training and shit there it was almost like a fucking european camp there but uh, great people in the organization. Um, unbelievable. Like our, our practice facility, our practice facilities out in Voorhees, New Jersey. Everybody lives in Jersey across the river, you know, together intermingled with all the big boys, the NHL guys. Uh, it's a twin rink out there, the practice facility. Everybody has two sets of gear. You know, your game gear is down at the, down at the spectrum or walk over Wells Fargo, whatever the new name is every yeah. week. Big building. But guys got called up, shit went in the shopping cart, got rolled down the hallway, moved into the big boys' room, and away he went. Away he went. Like, it was so good for guys getting called up and sent down because everybody was together all the time. Both teams played the same system. It was amazing. And then, then like, for playing, we play on the spectrum, getting 10, 12,000 people in the spectrum. And they fucking loved the idiots, and we had a whole handful of complete Did you ever? And it was a blast. Um, got to play with my, another one of my brothers, Jim, for two and a half years there before we got traded. Lived together, kind of really got to know him for the first time because um, I'm five years older than him and I was kind of gone before he kind of turned into a man sort of deal and got to see him grow and do his first, you know, cutting his teeth in the American League. Got to watch him play his NHL game in, you know, with, the, with the Flyers, see him score his first NHL goal against the Montreal Canadiens. And just watch them. It was it was amazing, and we had a really tough team and a really good team, and you know, it was it was just a it was amazing. I had a more more fun in in those three years than, than I can ever say, and that's the longest I was ever in one place too, which kind of helped. But fans loved what we did there at the Spectrum, and, and I love love playing there. Played for John Stevens and Michelle Samuelson, just amazing guys, and got to play with some of the best friends that I'll ever have were, were in there. So Philly always says, yeah, the history of tight-knit teams, uh, blue-collar guys, much like the fans. Who was the best guys to booze with on that squad or on in that time in three years? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I, I hung out lots with, with Kirby Law, another Western League. Right? Played yeah. against in the Western League, just a great guy. Mark Gregg was our captain there, unbelievably skilled guy. Uh, big Mexic link of, oh, geez, list goes on. Lived with another guy, Craig Brunel, tough guy. Just all those teams were so tight that anybody could go any night of the week. And, and we had we had pubs down downtown in South Philly, just close to the right, that would they would bend over backwards for us to say the least, and we had a lot of fun. The cops were let us do whatever we wanted, and uh, it, was it was fun. 
it was the end of that era where you were expected to go out with the boys. You know what I mean? Like it, it was, it wasn't frowned upon. It was actually, I, I've told the story many times. I'm like, I say it to some guys now and they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, we would like often get off the bus and the coach would give us like money to go and get drunk. <laughs> That's um, we, like, often we tell the stories and it was just a different era. People go, what? Like, what do you mean? Your coach knew? I'm like, no, he was with us for a bit. Like, you know, you'd go out and have a steak and beers and whatever happened. As long as you played on the ice and, you know, you play guilty or whatever. But that's totally changed. For guys like me and you, we thrived on that, you know. After the game, maybe you go out there, play, play scrappy, whatever it is, whether it's a fight or a hit or a goal or whatever. You go out and you give your all, and then you go out with the boys. So saying that, the next year, you're in Grand Rapids. Now, I see some legendary names here. Uh, I played with Nick Bootland's brother, Daryl, and I know he's a beauty. Nick Cronwall. A lot of people forget he played in the American League. How was he to play with? I see he led your team as a defenseman. Yeah, well, that, that was a lockout year, right? So all those guys, him, Yuri Hoodler, Tommy Kopacki. Hoodler, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> what we a team. A, <laughs> we had such a good team. We didn't make playoffs. Unbelievable. Eric Manlo, Kip Miller, Blake oh, Stone, yeah. Hoodler. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It was it – was, the, the American Hockey League that year was, like, that's the best it's ever going to be. Joey McDonald is your goalie. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was amazing. Like, we, uh, we just underachieved. And, and the, a big part, a lot of those guys kind of quit in the middle part of the year when they announced for sure that the, the NHL wasn't going to play for – you know, the rest of the season. Remember, we're all sitting in, again, we had a bar in the in the main floor of this apartment, this huge apartment building that we lived in. And, oh, God, we had a big furniture factory, and they retrofitted it to this, you know, upscale loft apartment type thing. And, and so it was a block long. It had a big big bar in the bottom of it, a big courtyard in the middle. But all, the hallways went all the way around the city block, and we all got electric scooters and would have races at night whichever girls we would find that would races and knock on all the doors, wake up all the little ladies on the floor, have fun. Anyways, we had, <laughs> that's fantastic. All these guys had way too much money and time on their hands. Right. So we, uh, when they announced the NHL wasn't going to play for sure for the rest of the year, fuck, we went in the tank and lost 10 in a row, got our coach fired, Danton Cole. And then we finally got everybody back on track and won five or six in a row, but they fired Colsey, and we just couldn't recover from that. that off it. Like, oh, God, those guys, I was in there, too. We were all just hammered for three weeks because we all had guarantees, and guys had one ways and all kinds of stuff, and it just, it, for whatever reason, we, the whole team went in the tank for, for a good month and it buggered up for season. And half the team went and played in Detroit the next year, so they were good, and I was gone. Hey, it's all about the journey, my man. Now, listen, so I'm going to fast forward a little bit because you, what a long, interesting career. I'm looking at some of the beauties you played with, and I want to ask you about them, but I got to get to this. I got to. 0708, you're playing in San Antonio in the American Hockey League. Things are going great. What a place to play. What a league to play in. The Phoenix Coyotes call. How old are you at this point? You get your NHL games. How old as a rookie? Because your hockey card looks like Roy Hobbs. Like, I got to be honest, your hockey card says rookie right across, and you're expecting to see an 18-year-old, and you look older on the card than you do now. That's oh, not an insult, because you look good. Oh, <laughs> oh I was 32. 32, I'm, I, at the time, like, I'm one of the oldest guys ever to get his first game in, for sure. Got to be. 
It, it was amazing. During that summer, uh, it was kind of back and forth between between Phoenix and New Jersey. And then the deal was, like, I always figured for sure I'd get into coaching as soon as I was done playing and, and uh, talked to Lou Lamarillo a bunch of times that that, uh, that summer. And Lou wanted me to, you know, come come over and look after our boys. And the difference was like, I was still chasing my game, right? I was chasing my one NHL game had been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And talking with Lou, the difference was Lou was straight up and he was great to talk to him, nothing but respect for him. Seeing him talk to him tons of times over the years before and after. And he said, okay, you're not going to get your NHL game with us. I'm going to guarantee you're going to probably play two games in East Coast League. You're going to have a job here. You're going to coach. You're going to look after the kids and we're going to groom you how to be a, how to be a coach. But Jesus, like what a great offer, right? Been playing in the minors for a dozen years and I got one of the best guys in the business telling me he's going to look after me. On the other side, I'm chasing my one NHL game and talking with Don Maloney. And Don is like, I can't put it in paper, but I'll guarantee you're going to get one game. Same money, same thing. And it's like, I'm going. Yeah, I got to get. That's what I've been doing this for so damn long. So I no go. brainer. Yeah, no brainer. And I, a lot of people maybe would pick the other. I'm, I'm right with you. We get that in common too. I met Ken Dryden once in, in Montreal. And, you know, it, it was after my fuck up. And he just put his hand on my shoulder and he said, um, you know, don't sweat it. He said, once in an ex, once in NHL or always an ex NHLer. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's the importance of getting that game in because a, it, it's just so great to experience. I'm sure you went through the same thing. Again, both of us have, you know, less than 10 games. We got that in common. We both got no points, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's mesmerizing. And I'm, I don't give a shit. I look back and I'm like, Man, to play those games and to say you're in the NHL and to have that experience and it'll follow you the rest of your life. I'm so glad you got them in. And do you know, I don't know anybody that was a rookie at an older age. It probably happened. I guess David Ayers. There must be exceptions like that. But how did the guys treat you? Good. I, I was the oldest guy there. I'm, <laughs> I'm like a couple months older than, than Doan. And I think I was two months older than Jovanovski were the, the oldest two other guys there. Um, but I, well, it's kind of a funny story where I called them. I'm actually in, we're on the road on the out east, eh? We're in Hamilton, Montreal's part. Yeah. Which, like YouTube, I, I once upon a time had a one, one way contract with, with Montreal, with Canadians. Played 11 exhibition games there and got sent down and made more yeah. money playing I didn't and would have been in the show, but that was years before, and I figured, oh, for sure, I was going to get my one game in there. That never happened. Anyways, we're in Hamilton, and um, I'm walking around with uh, with Brian Russell, Chris Russell's twin brother, eh, that plays okay. in Hamilton. Yeah, and they're from they're from Carolina, Alberta, as well. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, and so we're uh, we're both getting there after uh, after morning skate day, eh, and I, and my coach leans in because in the Hamilton room there, bullshit with the boys and the trainers. After all, the players are gone. And our coach from Gray Island is in. I talked to you. Can you come over to your office? I'm like, you motherfucker. Because we, we had too many veterans. Like, that's how everything had changed, right? Where the time you only have five veterans, veterans are guys that played over 250 pro games. Yeah. Always had a couple extra there. And so I was getting uh, the, the sit out every once in a while. Hey, I'm like, you motherfucker. I used to play here. You're going to sit me out, healthy scratch me, son of a bitch? She's like, no, I've got the best news in the world for you. You need to come over here and, and we got to talk. I got traded, son of a bitch. Nope, come on in here. And him and Ray Edwards, who's now an assistant coach in Calgary, right? Yeah. 
uh, I actually played roller hockey with Ray and a good buddy of mine. But we um, he calls me in and says, sit down. I'm like, oh, fuck, what's going on? Somebody died? I'm like, no, we got the best news for you in the world. You just got called up to the Phoenix Coyotes. Like, shut the fuck up. That is not funny. That's not even funny at all. What is going on? No, seriously, you're called up. I'm going to play and you go fly today, get there to go practice for two days and play Nashville here in like three days. No. I want to see the fucking paperwork. Not a fucking chance. You guys are fucking with me. I'm going to kill both of you in this room right now. I made GI pull out the paperwork and say, yep, here it is. Right here. And I, I couldn't believe it. Absolutely couldn't believe it. And then had three days to think about it. I just had a new baby. My my daughter Danica was two, three months old. My wife at the time, her mom and dad, my mom and dad, everybody flew down to Phoenix. Um, good buddy of ours from Sylvan Lake here, Derek Morris, playing in Phoenix. His family down there, everybody's down there. They're sitting there waiting for me, and then I practice for two days and do all the media and then just about lost my mind before I got in and actually got to play the first shift and holy shit. This is easy. This is just like what I've been doing forever. And it was the most amazing feeling and the best deal ever. It was cool. Uh, you know what I, no, no, no. That's very interesting. Similar to my first experience. Didn't you find, I was real nervous, but I guess having played the exhibition too, because it's similar. If not, you know, you get late in exhibition, it's pretty much the same, but I found it was easier to fit in up there, harder to stand out. But like, because the, you know, I'm playing with Mark Recchi, the puck's going to be on my stick. All I really do is the feather it in the corner. He's going to get it first. Like, if you just do your job and you can skate, which you can, it's like easy to just play your role and not make a mistake. Whereas in the American League and the East Coast League, like, shit's everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, you just kind of got to read the situation and adapt to it and go to a hole. But in the NHL, I found... People are like, there's, it's going to come behind the net. Boom. You better know the system and you better go because, you know, guys are just swinging. They're curling. They're, it's on your stick. It's off your stick. Um, but in any case, it's mesmerizing. Um, so your family, how many family members saw it? Uh, Mom and dad were, were there live. And then uh, you know, everybody else is watching on TV and shit. And they had stuff on TSN, blah, blah, whatever. But the, the, honestly, the coolest part. Well, one of the coolest parts about the whole deal, um, ripping around and warm up, and uh, Chris Mason, buddy of mine from Red Deer, goaltenders in Nashville. Yeah, he's stretching. I always stretch out on the red line, try to fucking act like I'm tough or anybody or whatever. Right, so I'm ripping around center ice over and over, stretching. Chris comes over. Pistol, we're so happy for you. Like, where everybody on the team is so fucking proud of you. This is so cool. This is on the other team, right? Yeah. Like, that's awesome, Ace. Thanks. Darcy Horchuk comes over and stops. I'm stretching, trying to act tough. Comes over. Pistol, if you want to go, I'm here. If you don't want to, totally good. Whatever you want to do, whatever you need me to do, we're here for it. And then he fucks off. Like, how the fuck am I supposed to respond to that? I'm fucking going to kill all you guys. She comes over, gives me a tap. Like, hey, Pistol. Like, I play with a bunch of guys from that he played with in Cologne and shit. Yeah. <laughs> happy for you and like you fuckers are gonna make me cry and fucking center ice in my <laughs> i know i'm getting goosebumps here thinking about it you're gonna yeah. make me cry for fuck's sakes <laughs> it was it was an it was an unbelievable experience all all the guys in, in our room and whatnot were just beyond beyond cool right like like morris is a good buddy of mine but like Don is just an awesome guy and they just made me feel like i belong there like i'd always been there and we're just you know 
telling stories about the Western League from a dozen years ago. I'm like, fuck, I didn't remember that. And just totally took me in and, and made me feel welcome and comfortable and just at home. And like going back to what you're saying before too, like I played in every fucking league that there is. And the, the higher up you go, the easier it is to play. Just like you're saying, you do your job. You don't get out of that, out of your lane, out of what you're supposed to be doing. Because you do, somebody's going to take advantage of you. But you can throw bombs at guys, muffin passes. They pick them up, no problem. They throw ones to you all the time. Like, it was so fucking easy to play in the NHL. And I just wanted, I wanted more. I know. It was I know. an incredible day. That's the other thing. And sometimes people will ask me, look, I'm, I'm not – sour about my career it's great it's, it's all good but they'll ask me I'm like oh you think you could have played any more games i'm like i know i could have i'm telling you i'm not kidding if you if you do your job and lots do um you know you can and you're smart about it and you you know you make the right connections i don't mean like i mean you'll be a good teammate you know and you do the right things um it's so that's that's mesmerizing it's a similar experience to mine except uh you got it at a later age and that is just a fantastic story now i'm going to pull back from that a little bit because I haven't had anybody on my show, at least I had a couple and I didn't ask them. You played professional roller hockey. Okay, yeah. so t- tell me, just comment. Just, yeah, that's an open book, whatever you need. How was it, why was it, and you know what ended up happening? Oh, fuck, that, that was an interesting year. So anyways, we'll go back to when I was talking when I, when I broke my leg older at shit. Um, that summer, so this was after my first year of pro, um, my brothers Dan and Joe were playing out in PEI in Summerside for the Royal Bank Cup, right? It's you know, Royal Bank Cup, right? Yeah. And uh, they were playing out in Surrey with Gomez and a bunch of guys from out there when they were young. Um, so Street Eagles. Anyways, they go out there playing the Royal Bank Cup. And I, I was, I'm the old man, I don't know how he scraped together the cash, but he got all the rest of the kids who were going to watch the boys win a national championship. Fly across the country, get out and I got, we were there for like three weeks. And so that whole time, uh, Grant Sonier is a guy's name. He was uh, yeah, I know him. GM for the team in, uh, in Huntington, in East Coast League at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in Columbus, I played against him all the time. That's for Ray Edwards, Jimmy Birmingham, all those guys are out. Anyways, so we sit around drinking beer and fucking eating lobster for fucking three weeks with him. He says, Fuck, I, I'm GM of a roller hockey team in Anaheim. You want to come play roller hockey? Oh, man. Fuck you talking about? I've never been on rollerblades in my life. I grew up on Cabo Road. Like, fuck off. He says, nope, come on out. We'll fly out. We'll pay you this much. Apartment and car and all this shit. Just come on down. I'm like, fuck, that's retarded. Anyways, I go home and I start packing boards for my old man in the summer, right? I'm playing. I had no signing bonus. I got to work. About two weeks of that, I'm like, I should go play roller hockey in Anaheim, California. That sounds like a great idea. So I fucking go down there. The training camp, never been on rollerblades in my life, right? Get all suited up. Spent the first three days running into the boards at full speed and then that full speed because I don't know how to stop or turn. Or, yeah. right? Anyways, make this the team and just have an absolute riot, an absolute blast down there. The guys were all East Coast League guys. Some guys were big roller hockey guys. Like we're on ESPN2, not the Ocho, but all the well, time. I remember <laughs> Darren Colburn. I don't know if you know that name. Or yeah, you must yeah. Colburn's from Newfoundland. He's a good buddy of mine. And I remember following along. And I was mesmer- I went to some games. I went to watch. Montreal was sold out. There was a team yeah. in Montreal, the Roadrunners. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, got, I got a big brawl with uh, Claude Jutras there. He pulled my feet out from underneath me because those stupid wheels. Like, 
guys would go by and you'd fucking squirt water on that sport court and you'd wipe out like a Bambi and just about kill yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. In all the big buildings like <clears throat> Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, um, the year that I played, like St. Louis, Orlando, New Jersey, and New York. They're called the Rock and Rollers. I had a guy at Elvis. Like the jerseys and the, the premise of all these teams was beyond a joke, right? But it was fun. They paid us cash and then the league paid us checks and you got a house and a car and like made more money than I did in the East Coast League and we're big wheels. I had like Darren Van Imp, and who the hell else? Brian Byron Brisky that I'll play with in Red Deer with the Red yeah. They're all Anaheim draft picks and they were down there in the summer and we were a bigger deal than the Ducks were. Like the Bullfrogs, Bullfrogs, nice name, but sold, sold out the pond, play in Anaheim in the pond and sell out every night. Everybody who we were and we got deals at the strip joint at the steakhouse at the bars we got free everything and they didn't know who my buddies were who were all draft picks and down there working all the time and they all knew who i was like it was a blast but it was run by some real shady characters like each team was not really on the up and up and i had a blast and then i got traded a buffalo of all places for Christ's sakes. the buffalo wings what a yeah. name with the big pterodactyl on the front that the, the owner was a psychiatrist lady from from california and she designed she bedazzled her own jacket and she bedazzled the jersey and came up with it herself and it was go from playing in front of eighteen thousand people in the pond to about two thousand people in green midland but it was it was it, it was fun but it took about two weeks to learn how to skate again and i could go on for stories for days about that league like the shit i saw and the blow your fucking mind but I think it's time uh, that we had a book about that league. I've heard some great stories. I would have played it. it was, they really frowned upon it at the time because of injury. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, I was just on, you know, one-year East Coast American League contracts, right? Like, I didn't have any NHL team have any interest in me, you know, with those clauses about riding bikes or anything. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I, I, I was just trying to make some money to get through to the next year, right? No, I would have loved it. That's great that you had that experience. And, um, you know, it's, if you're going to go and play hockey in the offseason, you must love it, which brings me to, and, and I love it, too, which brings me to my next question. You played senior then for how long? Did you, was it straight to Innisfail? Because um, you retired, I should say, Victoria was your last team, East Coast League, that's 10-11. 11-12, did you start playing senior right away? I'd left Alberta at that point. I played one year at Bantley with the Generals. And okay. The next year, we lost out to Horse Lake, who had all, you know, brought in tons of guys there, money and whatnot. We lost to go to the Allen Cup with those guys. Um, the next year, um, they wanted me to coach. Because this is the year that uh, the, they had the split. Brian Sutter was coaching Batman. Yeah, I remember that. And the split happened. He went to Innis, and they wanted me to help coach in, in Red Deer and be part of their, you know, host the Memorial Cup, or the Allen Cup in Red Deer. And they wanted me part of that and I was trying to make uh make marriage work and stay home and have two young kids and like oh I'm just gonna play some beer league I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play and I hated not playing hated it yeah <laughs> boys win the Allen Cup too and could have been part of that but wasn't and so yeah I took kind of one year off and I'm, I'm still fucking playing you're playing too Okay, good. I'm, I'm playing senior hockey on this end, and you're still over there. Well, there, it's something else we got in common. And that, you know what? That's about an hour, and it brings us full circle. I got to take off, but I'd love to keep talking. Um, is, tell us a little bit. I know you got something on the go out there, uh, the company you're working for now. Yeah, we, uh, me and my wife, we started up uh, 
started up a company here about five years ago, just uh, delivering firewood uh, to campgrounds, to gas stations, to individuals all throughout central Alberta. And just came up with it as an idea one day to kind of help bridge the gap of, I was working in the oil patch as a salesman, great job and having fun doing that sort of stuff. But uh, things slipped down here a few years ago and with cutbacks, figured all oh, we need to kind of make that gap somehow. And, and me and my wife, Mandy, have kind of turned into a, Kind of a pretty neat little animal here that's that's going on. We're having fun doing it. It's a lot of hard work, but we're loving it. Vandermeer Ventures, is it? Yeah, yeah. Do some hot shotting cross border traffic before this whole shutdown and everything like that as well. And you know, moving equipment around and getting people wood for their homes in this in the winter to keep warm because it's winter for you know, Canada, right? And then in the summer for everybody that uh, wants to go to camping, we look after them that way too. It's been really neat. I got to ask one thing I forgot to ask, and I'd, I'd be remiss not to mention it. Um, so in 2008, for those that know my story, so you know I was married to Danielle, and we raised Tyson and everything, and um, Danielle and I are separated now, but we're in great, great terms. She lives two minutes away, and we see Penny Lane together each day, and we, you know, we love each other. It's, it's awesome, as that could be. So, But when we got married, guys, so... I'd just gotten into Tyson's life, and again, BJ, who we mentioned earlier, uh, Pete and I, um, BJ passed away in 05. So in 07, I went to play for the Generals and took Tyson to some hockey and everything, and Danielle and I had a relationship, and, you know, so it seemed like the right thing to do. And to be honest with you, Danielle and I are wing nuts anyway, so we were drinking. We'd been dating for like a week. I'm not kidding. And we went and got married, and we just called a justice of the peace, and we got married in the backyard, thinking at the time you know, Tyson would benefit from it. And, you know, we were, you know, we were definitely in love and we ended up having Penny Lane. So all of that ended up good. But the, the funny thing about that day, so we hadn't told anybody. So we, we went home and I was like, you know, it seems like we should have a few drinks. This was like 10 in the morning. So we called a bunch of you guys that were around. I remember you, my friend, John Daw, uh, Mark Wolf came up from Calgary. There's a hockey name. Um, Devin Frankon, I believe there was a few around, but there was no more than say 10 of us. So we went to Sylvan Lake, again, where I believe you reside now. That's one of my favorite spots on the planet. If I lived in Alberta, that's where I'd want to be first. And it's got a great little strip there. If you're from Newfoundland, you like George Street. There's a strip in, in Sylvan Lake that um, would definitely come close. And it's, it's more beautiful because you're right on the lake. So anyway, we went to this place drinking. And we get half shit-faced. And we were all shit-faced. I remember I walked into the dance. It was like a mini dance floor. And Luai Luai was playing an old 60s song. It was blasting. And I could see you and Johnny arguing with these two people. And they looked like big fucking tough bikers, to be honest. That's what they looked like. But I couldn't hear what was being said. I could just hear you yelling. And then I, the one guy came outside, and I could hear him whisper to his friend. He goes, Jesus Christ, that's Pete Vandermeer. Let's get out of here. So, But I'm loaded. I don't know what's happening. I think you guys are just... And then all of a sudden, somebody threw a bottle. I don't think it was you guys. It, it, it kind of smashed around my part of the bar and there was cops in the street and then everybody got thrown out in the street and these guys are trying to fight us i don't really remember this is true pete i don't know if i've spoken to you since about it that night so danielle got pissed off she went this is the night we got married she went home i woke up on the floor of the bentley general's dressing room i swear to god that's where i woke up i you know and that's a jaunt in itself i just had a key to that room so anyway do you remember what happened Oh, it was just 
drunken shenanigans. Just guys are being dicks, and it, that's just shit happening there all the time, right? It was just, it was just fun. It was a bit of fun. Chased him out of there. That, that was that was my buddy Chief's bar, Rob McKenzie. Just a yes. That's a place, right? Uh, we used to drink with Chief at. Um, oh my God! There was a bar in, in in Red Deer, and there used to be some live music and Irish music. And he used to take us there, and then we'd go. I think he had either a couple of places, or I remember going to that spot a lot. And he is a great guy. He was one of our biggest fans. Jesus, say hi to him um, if you see him. Well, he sponsored both of my weddings. He's he's been fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. He's every time I'm in Red Deer, it's a joy to see Rob. Um, Well, listen, do you have anything to add? Oh, I'd love to chat for hours and hours. This is this is good. It's kind of good jogging the old memory, and good to see you. it really is. And, you know, after this whole thing is over, Red Deer is one of my favorite spots in the world. And, uh, you know, we got a lot in common. And I do go there here and there, if nothing else, because Tyson's out there now and Penny Lane's half of her family is out there, obviously. So I'm going to make it a point next time we're going to have to hang out. Let's go fishing or something and, and talk and have beers rather than go right to a club like last time. But anyway... No. That sounds like a good idea. I mean, my wife Amanda would love to love to have you over here. We've got uh, we got four rugrats here that we're chasing all the time, and you know, we're hockey and ball not right now, of course, but just crazy busy with all that stuff too. And but it's you don't get a chance to to bullshit and hang out with guys that want to spend time. And it's it's crazy how quick uh, time goes. That's what I miss the most. Slow down mode now. It's just it's crazy how quick it goes. I'm gonna be 45 years old. I'm still a 16 year old kid walking in for the first time into the Rebels dressing room. Like, I'm still that kid. I don't look like it. I got less teeth and hair, but I'm still that kid. Love hockey, love being around the boys. <laughs> just just love everything that, that it's taught me and got gotten me and brought me through the experiences that I've had. And, and I want to share that with my kids. Like, just trying to do all that sort of shit and make a couple bucks along the way and try to be a good dad, try to be a good husband, just try to be a good dude. Try. Heavy on the try. Try. Yeah, try. Uh, I'm, everything you said there is, uh, could come out of my mouth as well. Um, listen, the, and the thing is, you got such a long and storied career. I wanted to go like chronologically and get to kind of talk about how it went. But now what I'd like to do, um, so I'd, what I'm saying is I'd love to have you back because on each, each time I opened up one of those teams, there's three or four legends on each team. And that also, there's got to be a lot of good stories behind it. So I'm promising you this, as I often do, I have people back. I'd love to have you back, maybe midsummer or something like that. And I'd, I'd love to see you soon. Uh, so with that, say hi to your brother, Joe. I mean, I've met your other brothers, but Joe is a good friend and played hockey with me. And I saw that guy. He's one of the biggest warriors. We, we lost in the Allen Cup final, and he couldn't move his arm. We couldn't move it. And he was getting shot with a needle every game. And he went out there, and he was one of our best uh, players, uh, definitely our best defender. He's still playing, too. Wow. He's still, he's still playing. Is he really? That doesn't surprise yeah. me one bit. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Like, we're, we play with kids that could honestly almost be our grandkids. Yeah, almost. I year olds. Like, definitely kids. But, like, I play with 17-year-old kids this year. <laughs> but, but it's fun. Right? Oh, yeah. And you're not going to be able to do it forever. I love that you're oh. pushing the envelope. I like to push it too. It was great to talk to you and catch up. And we got to do this again soon. Thanks a lot for being my guest on Tales with TR, my friend. And stay safe. Cheers. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Okay, Pete. Love you, buddy. And we're back. 
after a good catch up there with Pete Vandermeer. I know there's a, the audio was a little bit off, but I'm sure it's fine for you guys. Um, Pete, yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to have him back because on all those, when you play such a long time, you know, there's so many characters and stories. And um, I wanted to get his actual, like his kind of life story out there more than anything because it's a great story um, outside of being one of six brothers to play professional hockey. You know, to, to, the way he got his NHL games and, and putting time in. And I'm telling you, um, that guy could have played longer in the NHL. It wasn't a novelty. It ended up being a real good thing that he played two games, but it wasn't a novelty getting him up. He's, uh, he put up numbers wherever he went. And he was tough as nails, and he would do, do the job. A teammate like that is going to find a way to contribute, like he always did. So thanks a lot, Pete. Great family, great area. And uh, we'll be hearing more from you. Uh, soon. I'm sure that fans are going to like that. So, um, yeah, that, let's call that volume one. And, uh, you know, one thing I really, really had to say here, I want to say to make clear, Southern Scholar makes superior dress socks for men. Southern Scholar has reinvented the dress sock to form fit your foot and stay up your leg. Guaranteed to be the best dress socks you've ever worn or your money back. Use promo code THPN for $5 off your next purchase. And they are Southern Scholar Socks are great. And thanks uh, to Southern Scholar Socks for sending me some, even though I already had some. But I am promoting it on air, and that's part of the fucking deal. Um, yeah, you know, so we're all trying to make a living in this, in this COVID world. I appreciate people who are buying my book. Um, I just ran out again, and I got a few more orders. So... Uh, it's Tales of a First Round Nothing. Uh, it's 20 bucks, but if you live in town here in St. John's and you listen to this, you want one, I'll sign it and drop it off. If you're somewhere outside of St. John's and I have to mail it in Canada, it's just going to be 30 bucks. It's a better part of 10 to mail it, so that's it. So it's 30 if you're if you need to be mailed to. If you're in the States or you're overseas, a little bit more than that. Um, it's at least 40, but we'll work on that. If, if you want one, shoot me a DM. Um, or an email, tryan91 at hotmail.com. Uh, and like I said, so there's that. And I know, and I know everybody's um, probably having a hard time. So I'm, you know, trust me, I, I, I'm not doing it. I feel almost, what the word is, insensitive by doing that, um, trying to sell stuff. But, you know, people are enjoying the book. It might give you some positivity. Uh, you know, I don't have an income during this, so that's pretty much it. Um, a few other things, but you know, I'm just trying to make a living and maybe cheer people up. And I figure it's a good way to do it. I'm not trying to capitalize on COVID like, and, and that's a fine line, but you know, just cause I got some emails and I'm like, Jesus guys, like you gotta do something. And the same thing, like we don't get anything for this podcast, right? Well, we do a bit, the guys treat us well, but in a year, guys, in a year in the podcast world, I've had two podcasts. It adds up to less than $1,000. So we're just doing this, right? Like we're doing it. We get some sponsors here and there. I work for the Hockey Podcast Network. There's 32 of 33, I think now, maybe even more podcasts that they have. So, you know, Southern Scholar, they're great socks and everything. And I really do mean that. But, you know, they're, they're getting an ad with the 32. I, I, I'm not complaining. I get how it works. Dylan and Isha that run this Hockey Podcast Network are unbelievable. I'm merely saying, if you want to donate to Patreon, uh, Patreon or you want to sponsor us, like, you know, a lot of people listen to my show. 
tens of thousands when it's said and done. And, you know, yeah, easy that. So if you want a sponsorship, I don't even know where that's at. Usually you go through them, but you can DM me or something. You know, who knows? If it's a beer company, like I said, I just want beer for Friday nights for me and my dad. Um, there's all kinds of ways we can work together, but, you know, I want to harness the most I, I can out of online finances, whatever you're going to say. Basically, I want to make some coin. Yeah, fuck, you know, like we're all, we're all, uh, I assume most of us, are in a tough position, obviously not jobs that keep going or, or mask makers or essential workers, but I mean, they're driven over, they're over, they're, they're, they've gone above and beyond. I can't imagine being an essential worker. I'm glad that most of their pay is being increased and people are sensitive to their, to their situation during this. In any case, you know, I don't want to seem like some kind of shyster or, uh, you know, what's the words? Princess, give me a second. Um, prick, basically, by trying to capitalize on a disease. I'm not. But I am selling books, and that'll bring us to my wife, uh, Danielle, is selling hoodies. They're normally $129.99 um, penny posh hoodies. They're unbelievable, I'm telling you. Lots of people, since I've been on here talking about them, have bought them and uh, really enjoyed them. If you've got a significant other or whatever there's lots of reasons they're awesome and they really they if you're pregnant they kind of form fit to your body but you don't have to be in any case they're 129 i'm going to give them away she is for 69.99 and i'll throw in a picture and so will senior so that's a deal 69.99 for a penny posh hoodie and a picture uh for me and senior and we'll send it out to you i believe shipping though will probably be eight or nine bucks i forget but i'll send you the bill so you can see it and uh, whatever. Um, what else? Patreon is patreon.com uh, slash the Hockey Podcast Network. And donations are always uh, appreciated to make this thing go. Um, what else? Yeah, so, oh, Jesus. So lately I've been, you know, I'm sitting inside and, and you know, you got to find ways to stay motivated and be motivated. So, and again, I've been writing, I've been doing these podcasts, spending a lot of time with Penny Lane, which is great. Uh, and, you know, catching up with friends in a different way. Um, I, although I'm sick of Zoom, um, bad enough that I got to do every interview and podcast on there. But at first it was great. Oh yeah, I get to see so-and-so, you know, I get to see Mark. We'll just do it over Zoom and we'll host something on Facebook. But I, I'm, I am sick of that. I like human interaction. And I think we all are. But in any case, I, I'm, I'm real glad to see people are doing it. Because if it's the only option, it's a great one. And, you know, it's starting to open up. Uh, not so successful in certain parts down south in the United States. But Canada, I'm looking at the numbers, looks all right. Atlanta kind of looks great. Uh, Newfoundland, like I said, we haven't had a, we haven't had a case for weeks and weeks weeks uh, i'm thinking going on a month so i uh, you know it's a finicky subject and i'm all about safety and i hope whatever way we do it it's got to be safe because like i said if my mom gets this she's probably in a casket so i got to really watch out for that she's 67 smokes like a tilt diabetes and overweight um so yeah i mean i want it to be safe but i'm ready to at least go out there and play a sport 
or interact or go to a concert or whatever it might be. I know those days are far off, but here in Newfoundland, I think we could tweak it a little bit. Now, I don't know how that is because essential travel, what's that? As long as people are coming in and out of the province, well, you can't really open it all the way. But we are in a position that's advantageous being an island. And right now, if we have none, we could keep it that way. And so whatever, I'm, I'm all about the fastest way that we can get back to normal while also staying safe. So I, basically, I want my cake and eat it too. But who doesn't? Who doesn't want their cake and eat it too? Especially when it comes to something like this. Um, and so anyway, I'm sitting here and I thought, you know, I'll eat really healthy. Like I eat healthy anyway. I keep my weight down. But like, you know, it's pretty easy to keep your weight down when you're at something all the time, especially if it's ball hockey and ice hockey with people 20 years younger. Well, that'll do it, right? So I don't really have a problem staying at least my weight. I might get a little bit flab here and there. Muscle might turn into fat. But I'm staying at around 195, 200, right? Normally, normally, without even really trying. Because, again, I guess technically I'm trying playing hockey, but I don't look at it like that. I play hockey to have fun. It's an easy way to lose weight or keep my weight down. But now that I don't have that, I just have mountain biking. And, I mean, it's there, but it reminds me how hard you actually push yourself when you're competing. Because it's not close. I got to start really watching what I'm eating. I went up to 212 immediately. And now I'm halfway back to normal, but it's taken a lot. So anyway, I said, you know what I'll do? Instead of getting up, even though I'm having egg white breakfast sandwiches, you know, I was having egg white, but I was having cheese on there and, and bread and the odd time turkey bacon or whatever it might be. But it's still, it's technically good for you. But if I eat two of those for breakfast, then I go on and I have a healthy but big lunch, say a tuna sandwich and Caesar salad for for night, you know, normally I'd be playing some kind of sport. So I would either have, you know, the odd time chicken fingers, but you know, let's say if I'm going to go all health all the way, maybe a plate of pasta halfway through the afternoon, whatever it is, I normally eat fairly healthy, but I'm finding now the weight's going on. So I, I can't eat as much as I would. So I said, fuck it. Instead of getting up and having an egg white, whatever, um, I'll just have sh sh uh, these shakes, healthy protein shakes or whatever shakes. And I wasn't ever into shakes because I don't like the taste of it. I always knew that that was part of a training thing that people did, but I just wasn't into it. You need me to take creatine, I'll do it on the side. If you need me to take vitamins, I'll pop them, pop the pills. But I was never into these healthy shakes. I didn't like, I didn't like it replacing a meal. So anyway, now I am. I'm saying I got to do it to be healthier and to keep my weight down. So in the morning, I have a shake. And at night, my snack is a shake. In between, I'll have a meal or two. So, And in these shakes, I like to put a couple of bananas at least. And I put frozen uh, strawberries, berries, whatever it is. I put a couple of scoops of this Greek yogurt in. Uh, no fat Greek yogurt. Some skim milk and a bunch of ice. The odd time, maybe a... I'll toss in a, some almonds. But in any case, that's what I'm doing. So I'm right, and I love these things. And every time I get hungry, I'm like, ah, can't have a bag of chips, so I'm just going to have another one of these shakes. So sometimes I have like four in a day. So I'm getting, like some days I'm eating eight bananas. And at the very least part of my, the, the, the slowest days I'm eating four, which wasn't ever the case either. I would eat fruit. I, I'm not. I don't love fruit, but I'll eat it just to stay healthy. So if I go to have breakfast, say, or brunch at Green Sleeves, I'll always make sure to have some strawberries or banana, whatever on the side. But never like this. So now I'm eating like an absorbent amount of 
berries and uh, bananas, and I'm drinking a ton of skim milk. I gave up pop, which I was my weakness, like a smoker smokes. So I was into pop like that. So now I'm drinking, honestly, it's like two to four liters a day of milk. <laughs> and anyway, I started to feel a bit woozy. I'm like, Jesus, like I've never been healthier. Like, why the fuck am I feeling woozy? And so anyway, yeah, it's, it's, I was feeling woozy because like, I got a couple of friends that are doctors. I'm not getting an appointment, but I had to go in and get my blood test, uh, a blood test anyway for uh, unrelated reasons um, and not COVID. But um, so I called some friends and then when I was into the doctor, I asked and they're like, I thought they were kidding. They're like, yeah, you can drink too much milk. And then I brought up an article and it said a man, a man, his overall risk of death, death increases by about 10% when they drink three or more glasses of milk a day. I'm drinking about 15 or 20. And I'm going, milk? What the fuck? Isn't that healthy? Same thing for bananas. They're going, yeah, man, you don't have too many bananas. I'm like, what do you mean you don't have too many bananas? You don't have too many cigarettes. I get it. You don't have too many Big Macs? Totally. You don't have too much skim milk or too many bananas. What the fuck? Am I supposed to do? Is it? Does that? I don't really don't know. Does that go for strawberries too? Does that go for tomatoes? I have no idea that there's a limit on how many fruits and fucking vegetables I can eat before risking death. Jesus Christ! What depressing news. In any case, now I got to cut back on the bananas and the skim milk. Who knows? Maybe I'll replace it with Doritos. Is that healthy? I mean, fuck, who knows? I just thought that was ironic. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm looking into it now, and I thought I knew exactly how to eat uh, and control my body weight, and, and clearly I don't. That lifeline of sports is gone, and, you know, I just thought things are healthy, things aren't healthy. It's black and white. Apparently it's not. Uh, so uh, that's just a funny observation, not really a warning. I, I don't want to warn anybody. I draw the limit at saying don't drink milk. But I do appreciate science, so um, don't drink too much milk or eat too many bananas, folks. But uh, certainly listen to the scientists. I'll keep knocking it home. Listen to the scientists when it says whatever they say about this corona thing. Don't listen to your political leader. Don't listen to your friends. Don't listen to Facebook, for fuck's sakes. Don't listen to fucking uh, Twitter, Tumblr, fucking Grinder, whatever the fuck you're on and you're getting your information. I strongly suggest listening to the experts and the professionals and the scientists. And you know what? I'm pretty pumped this week. We, it, it, there, there does, this is the first week that me personally, I've seen a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, great guest today, Pete Vandermeer, actually. That put me in a good mood. It's always good to talk to him. We had Damien Follett on last time. I'm about to take my daughter camping. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to tonight, Fridays with, uh, Friday with uh, TNT, I guess we call it, with my dad. And I love that, too. So, listen, stay safe. Uh, keep smiling. And uh, I really honestly hope that as a group that most of you are starting to turn the corner. I know how hard it's been on me, and it will continue to be, of course. And it might be a year before things get back to normal. But there is some normalcy starting to happen, and there's faith, and there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And faith and hope aren't your enemy. They're a great thing. Um, so let's just get our priorities in the same spot. I think mostly they are. 
And Newfoundland, in more than anything, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. We're sitting here now. I know some people complain. You turn on the TV in all places all over the world. There's all kinds of places with fucking guns on government buildings, with, uh, ram- with rants and ramblings from people that aren't educated on the subject. There's hate. Uh, not all over, but it's some places. I can honestly say here in Newfoundland, uh, from what I've seen with my own eyes, we're, we're doing pretty well. Now, not to say people aren't frustrated, they are, but fuck, man. Almost a week with no cases in the middle of all this. Bravo. Good work, Newfoundland. And by extension, I can only speak for where I live in Newfoundland and Canada, and it seems Canada's doing a great job as well. So, uh, and to all my friends everywhere else, good luck. If you're in the United States, um, who knows? Uh, looks, some places, um, the... It looks optimistic, some places not so much, but I have faith, and uh, it's always hard with more people to deal with, right? Easy for me to say in Newfoundland, 500,000 people, Canada, what, 25, 30, 35 million? States has more than 10 times that. So good luck. I love the United States. Love my friends down there. Uh, love, Love my fans everywhere, my friends everywhere. Really appreciate it, guys, for tuning in every week. I know I'm rambling, but by now you fucking know I ramble, right? I mean, it's no, no fucking surprise I ramble. I will leave you with this. In the words of the great, and I mean great, Helen Keller. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. In the words of the great Helen Keller, keep your face to the sunshine and you won't see a shadow. That's it, everybody. Have a great weekend. See you next week.